1: I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now,
0: here's your host, Tara kennedy Clive.
1: Hey, Parent Nation. You know, Kelly, I was actually dancing. I was actually (laughs) dancing to my song today. I don't usually do that. I'm in a dancey mood. I am. I guess it's when I get a little bit of a bug in my ass because I've been sitting around for the last what week? Yeah, you know, you got to start dancing. Do you dance like I in do. your house? Oh Certainly. yeah, oh yeah, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I think more people should do that. I do I, too. It's yeah. fun. It is fun. We were dancing in the in the kitchen at my cousin's house on uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah, That was a blast. We had <laughs> a good time. Yeah, we was were a little bit nutty. Just dancing around, or did you have some music going? Well, yeah, there was music. Yeah. There was music and a lot of alcohol. Oh, that helps. (laughs) That makes me the best dancer on the planet, by the way.
2: (laughs) Says everyone in the
1: world. (laughs) Who never (laughs) saw it. (laughs) And I hope never do. Oh, the mysteries of YouTube. I hope that never goes on YouTube. Oh my yeah. gosh! So it's our last show before 2015, Kelly. Right. Happy oh. New Year and happy, happy Year. out with the old, out with the old. Do you do that? Do what? Do you do out with the old and with the new? Do you do the whole New Year's resolution? I'm going to change everything about me thing. <laughs> yeah,
2: I do. I do. I, know. I do.
1: But I, I, I gave just, that
2: I'm, up. I'm just going to change one. I, my thing that I'm starting on. Do you want me to say? Yeah, I want it. I, yeah. I, want to hear I can't it. drink any more pop. I drink a lot of diet pop and I'm not going to do it anymore.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, like even when you're sick? Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I can't, I can't get over being sick if I don't have a Coke. Really? Yeah. Wow. I need it. Wow. wow. Interesting. You know what else is funny? What? I I have to drink sparkling water. I need the bubbles.
2: Oh. You can't drink regular water? I don't like
1: it. It gags me.
2: Oh, I see.
1: Yeah. Isn't That's that funny.
2: Weird? Yeah, that is funny. Now my daughter can't drink sparkling anything, but I I I like regular water.
1: Ah, uh, do you put stuff in your water? Lemon. Mm. I heard it's really good for you. It is. It is. I'm I to- yeah, I could probably do that. I could probably do water with lemon. Um I prefer my water with lemon and vodka. <laughs> ah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> the more the merrier. Yahoo. I, you know, okay, so your kids have an extended break, yes. right? Do you do you use this as a big party, too?
2: Um, Sure. Yeah, we do a lot of things that we don't normally
1: get to do during the year. You know, I think, Kelly, that that has a lot more to do with the the meltdowns and stuff like that that we see with kids at the holidays than anything. I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been reading a lot of stuff in the news. Because I do that, you know And right. one of the big things is um, Like parents Now there's a big thing on Reddit right now Where this mom posted the uh, Receipt where she returned The day after Christmas, she returned her Kid's Wii U console Oh. And it says right On the receipt, because they have to put down the reason For the return uh-huh. And it said, um, kid got himself On the naughty list, parents wanted him to see It returned Oh. Are you kidding me? Are you Aww. shitting me, Parent Nation? Seriously? Like, you haven't had a meltdown. Like, you didn't do anything stupid or regrettable the entire year that you, you have the right to withdraw a gift forever. Not put it in your closet and say, when you earn this back, you can have it. Or not say, I don't appreciate the way you received that and the way you're acting right now, so I'm taking this away from you until you can show me that you appreciate it. No, no. Returned it to the store and made the kid watch. You know what? Here's my thing on that, Kelly. I think you are displaying black bratty behavior for your child, and then you want to know why your kid's a brat. Mm-hmm. That parent was the biggest brat on the planet when they did that. Oh, yeah. And that's my new philosophy on parent shaming. You know the whole big thing about parent—you know parents shaming their kids on the sure. Internet? Sure. You're displaying the brattiest behavior on the planet, and then you want to know why your kid's a brat. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous.
2: Let's let that sink in for a moment.
1: Yeah. Think about that for a second. You're going to act like a giant, spoiled, Pouty, tantrum-throwing brat for the world to see and drag your kid into it, and then you want to know why your child doesn't respect you or listen to you. Hmm. Let's think about that for a second. Now, uh, here's the thing. There's also the regifting element. Do you regift? Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah. Depends. I have before. Your re depends? That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, like... like. Uh, okay, so my kids, uh, most for the most part, because we have some strict guidelines around gift-giving, uh-huh. not for ourselves, because we give like crazy people. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. My tree is redonkulous in the morning. <laughs> but because of that... I we restrict what other people give to our kids because we want our kids to get the things that they like and value. We don't want them to get like miscellaneous stuff that you picked up at the convenience store on the way to our house. Right. We don't find value in that and we think that it's more important just to spend time with us than give us a, sh- a shitty gift. Do
2: you know what I'm saying? Sure, but how do you
1: how do you convey that to people? We basically give them, we tell them up front, you know, no more than three gifts okay. per family. And, um, and here's what our kids have asked for that they would really appreciate, you know, that they've earned and that they would love. Mm-hmm. And, and for the most part, people respect that, you know. Um, but every once in a while, you get that gift that you go, huh, wonder what you were thinking when you bought that. <laughs> <laughs> and in those cases, you know, you always get that random kid that shows up that you weren't expecting. Yes. So then in those cases, like, I will sometimes sneak a present that my kids got and rewrap it and, and re-gift it. Mm-hmm. What do you think well, about that? That's the nice thing to do. Do you think? Yes. All right. I was hoping you'd say that.
2: I think people throughout the year will do that. Keep little things in their closet for just in case.
1: Oh, always. I actually see for my new year. I don't, I don't say that I'm going to give up stuff or change things about myself because I found that I fail at that too much. So I've I've given up that practice. That's been the one thing I could give up that I actually didn't fail at giving up, you know, giving up. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) um, What I do is I like to clean out spaces after the holidays. Because you get all this new stuff, like you said, out with the old and with the new, right? Right. You get all this brand spanking new stuff for Christmas. And then the day after, and if you're listening and you don't celebrate Christmas, this is just, this can be something that you just do at the start of the year. Mm -hmm. You know, you just clean out your old spaces. Clean out spaces that have collected crap all year long. And then it, it really just releases me. It allows new, better things to come into my space. I believe that. I believe it, too. Yeah.
2: I love just <clears throat> seeing, it, seeing it go in the back of my husband's truck.
1: Bye-bye. Hello. Goodwill. Exactly. And, and you know what? And a blessing to somebody who can use it. Yes. That's what I have to do. I have to bless and release stuff. Or else I have a really hard time letting go. I could be a hoarder so easily. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, and then
2: I then I get into that, well if I have a garage sale I can make some money on it. And then yeah, I hear that little snicker. Too. And then you're collecting it all for a while <laughs> and then the day comes and you have to get up at four thirty in the morning and set the tables up and you're like, Uh, oh, whose idea was this?
1: <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> I know, and yeah, and nobody shows up. Right. I live, I live yeah. in the sticks, so well, nobody yeah. shows up. And then they they wind up like trying right. to negotiate for cheaper pricing. It's right. like, oh, come on, this isn't a car dealership. Mm-hmm. Come on, I want twenty five cents for that. Just give me the quarter <laughs> and shut up. Before I throw it at you. Do you have change for a half dollar? <laughs> it's the Kennedy half. It could be worth something to you. <laughs> oh gosh, no. I don't I don't do the yard sale thing. I just like I like giving things to we have a lot of Goodwill's and Salvation Armies and shelters and that sort of thing around us. So I really like doing that. That, that makes me feel good. So you do. Yeah. But I think um oh, I'll tell you what else. What? Is making people. We were originally. This whole conversation started about like people going crazy. Um, I think that we expect. Well, I've said that before, though. I think we expect too much of our kids. I think that we make everything so wonderful or we expect everything to be so wonderful. And then if like if they do one thing to break that picture perfect dream of what we thought the holiday should be, uh-huh. then we want to then we want to take it out on them by using their gifts against them. <clears throat> That's not good. I know people who give gifts to their kids knowing full well that it's going to be the first thing that they take to punish them. Oh, you don't know people like that. I'm, no. gonna him, I'm gonna get' I'm gonna get them that brand new smartphone, but I'll tell you what the first time they mess up, it's gone. Oh okay, I've heard stuff like that before. Yeah, that's, that's a bullshit thing to do. It is I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all i'm I'm really glad that we're gonna have uh two amazing experts on today talking about how to handle things neutrally. Yeah, and how to how to how to defuse situations in ninety seconds. I I am so stoked for that one because mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, with the stuff that's going on right now, the world can use that information. Oh yeah, have you seen the thing? Okay, Pennsylvania, you, you know what, Pennsylvania? You never cease to amaze me with the ridiculousness. <laughs> I I'm so proud, so proud to be a Pennsylvanian. <laughs> So, again, we wind up – the day after Christmas, we wind up in the news, Monroeville, which is out towards Pittsburgh, um, which actually Pennsylvanians don't really consider that a part of Pennsylvania because it's, it's like its own little world. But anyway, um, it's, it really is. Really? If you've ever driven to Pittsburgh from, like, from where we live, it's, it's like an, its own little part of the world. Like, you don't stop there unless you know what you're getting into. Like, if you have to pee and you're going through Monroeville, you just keep going and pee oh. yourself because you don't stop. But anyway, so Monroeville – and you know what? If you're, if you're mad that I said that, then you're from Monroeville and you know I'm right, so just shut it. <laughs> so so um, the, the mall, the day after Christmas, a group of teenage girls started a fight with each other, wound up they had to close the mall, Kelly – they had to close the mall at 830 the day after Christmas because 50 some teenagers wound up in this brawl. And the the store patrons were getting scared. They had to lock down the, the doors to the mall so the kids couldn't come in because they mm-hmm. were coming into the mall and beating up people in the stores. It Ugh. just got insane. It just got crazy. It was a total madhouse. And I thought, wow, that's ridiculous. You know, where where are they getting the idea to do stuff like that? doesn't it happen 2 days later in Chattanooga <sighs> right so th- they had to close down a mall but this time it's 250 kids mm. where where, and was where was paul blart where was paul blart during all this time no shit right <laughs> on his little segway <laughs> just like barreling through there that would have been awesome uh, right with his little hello kitty band-aids just tearing the place up uh, but you have to wonder where are kids getting the idea that they can just simply defy authority like that and pay no consequences for it? Right.
2: And go to a public place and have, and hash out their differences.
1: Right. It's like they're taking, they're taking the, the ridiculousness from social media, you know, the banter, the going back and forth and, you know, all the craziness from social media, and they're bringing it into mm-hmm. the real world. Right. I'll see you at the mall at 8. Exactly. Exactly. We used to have flash mobs of like people singing and dancing. Right. No more. Same thing. Right. It's true. So I asked my son about it, and uh, and he was like, "Mom, the people that I'm on social media with don't talk about stuff like that." And he's he is really kind of right because there was a, a little bit of a thing that started on his page. Through no fault of his own, these two guys started arguing on my son's wall, and I immediately intercepted it. I'm like, you know, take this bullshit off my son's page. This has nothing to do with him. And if I see you, we're going to have a conversation about how you act on other people's walls. Would you talk like this to your mother or your grandmother? Don't do this. On a, a, that's disrespectful and I'm not going to tolerate it. And I know you kids, so knock it off. And I, and I put the kibosh to it. And my son was a little bit pissed at me because he's mm. like, you know, Mom, you came onto my wall and did that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right because you didn't. Mm. And it got me thinking, Kelly, here's the thing. A 16-year-old girl committed suicide Christmas Eve. Hmm. And the last thing that she wrote on her wall was, I wonder if I died today, if anyone would be sad or if anyone would miss me. Mm, That's so sad. Here's the thing. It's super uber sad. It's devastatingly sad. And what's most sad about it is that no one who loved her and cared about her was on her page stalking her mercilessly knowing that she was writing stuff like that and pulling her to the side and saying, you're damn right, I would miss you. Mm-hmm. And what are you, why are you writing that? And where is this coming from? And let's talk. And it, m- my thing is, if you're going to put your kids on a forum that is, that is out there to the entire world, that's going to connect them 24-7 to the entire world, literally, then you absolutely must be one of those connections. Right. So we started a process, and I, you probably saw it. You um, did. Yeah, we're going to start talking to our kids about not only what's on my page, I'm gonna, I'm going to allow my kids to peruse my Facebook page and see the things that I've commented on and the things that I've said and the things that I'm passionate about. And I'm going to do the same thing with them. And they're going to hate it at first, but eventually they're going to get used to it and I think it's going to change the way I respond to people because I know my kids are watching uh-huh. and hopefully it's going to change the way my kids respond to people online too because they know that their parents are watching. And it's not just about big brother or big sister watching you. It's about someone who loves you and wants, to, um, wants you to respect them. You're right. You know? Good. And- And God bless that girl, and I I feel for her family, and I'm not saying that you did anything wrong. What I'm saying is this should be a lesson for all of us to do something different, right? So uh, it's crazy. We're going to have to get these kids under control, and it's going to start with parental involvement, and it's going to start with things like what we're going to be talking about from our guests today when we come back from this break because we're going to be talking about how to to end conflict in 90 seconds, which we could all use. So when we come back, we're going to be talking with Doug Knoll after this break
0: takes a village to pay the bills in this freaking studio, which is why Tara's taking a cocktail break, and we're taking care of business with the work of these sponsors.
3: Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central, on toginet.com.
4: you never heard. The Do Not Disturb sign has been around as long as there have been hotels where discretion was a bitter part of value. One lecturer at Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration traces the Do Not Disturb sign roots to the aristocracy of the early 20th century at grand establishments such as the Ritz in Europe. It sure is annoying when you just want to be a slug of bed and someone knocks at the door and says, housekeeping, what's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. There are days when I wish I could wear a do not disturb sign around my neck. What to call someone who wants to lay in bed all day? A scubberlatcher.
5: It's Merchandise.
4: I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas.
0: Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents.
1: Clean my house. <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer.
0: Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back
1: to the show. Hey Parent Nation, welcome back to the show. I am um, I'm I'm really excited for our first guest because there's so much going on right now um in the u.s and at really all over the world that involves people misunderstanding and um people not um communicating in a way that's generating positive results so kelly the, i know that you've been watching the, you know everything that's going on with ferguson and stuff like that and right and and so here's my thing. Yesterday, I I posted something on Facebook about the memorial for Michael Brown and how a police officer was suspended because, as a result of saying that it basically was, it it looked like a pile of trash. And, You're right. It did. And and it did. It did. And that's the thing, Kelly. He, he didn't say um, this man isn't worthy of a memorial. He didn't say we shouldn't have a memorial for this for, for Michael Brown. He didn't say anything like that. He said this: the memorial, as it sits <clears throat> right now in the middle of a street, in the middle of a street, is getting run over. People are throwing things at it. You know where we have bad weather. We can't contend with it. It's a traffic hazard. The flowers are dying. The candles are getting smashed. The teddy bears are getting run over. And it looks like a pile of trash. The cop was suspended, and everybody turned this into a huge debate over, once again, race related issues and police related issues. I don't understand why we can't have a civil conversation. And people just say things that aren't um, taken offensively if they're factual. I don't understand why we can't um, we can't call things what they are and not have an entire group of people rise up and start protesting and fighting and screaming, um, "You hate me!" and all this other stuff. So there's a there's a lot of things that are going on right now that i think because we are communicating through the written word through text messages through articles in the newspaper that can so easily that can so easily be um <clears throat> uh, skewed. It you know what i mean? Right. Like if you if you see something written You're going to take it from your point of view of how you're feeling right now instead of the point of view that the person meant it as. And that has happened on this particular thread on Facebook to the point where it's absolutely ridiculous. And what I realized was, and I'm so glad that he's with us today, is um, Doug Knoll. He's he's given himself the description of being a peacemaker and he's actually won awards for his work, doing this work. And what he talks about is how to calm situations and how to communicate in a world where communication is so easily skewed to fit our agendas. So, hey, Doug, how are you?
6: I'm great. Good morning.
1: Good morning. So I, I don't know if, you, if you're if you getting the example of what I said.
6: I do, with, totally. <laughs> and.
1: And it's so frustrating to me because people now people are starting to fight over things that don't even make sense because we're taking them out of context or right. we're taking them to right. mean what we want them to mean. How can we how can we calm this stuff down, Doug? This is getting crazy.
6: Well, that, uh, systemically and culturally, it's going to be tough. Uh, we can only really address these problems individually on a one-on-one relationship. Part of the problem is that ideology, this is what's so interesting to me, is that that, um, common core standards are coming out, and I think that that is the greatest blessing to to this country you can imagine because it's going to teach kids how to critically think. We've lost that over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And the problem we have in our country today culturally is that ideology has supplanted critical thinking. So that whenever you were saying, that, why can't we have a conversation when the facts are clear, but people become enraged when they hear the facts? That's because their ideology, their belief systems um, are kicking in. There's a whole bunch of neuroscience around how how belief systems become implanted in the brain. And people have a very difficult time dealing with facts that are inconsistent with their belief systems, and they they defend those beliefs. and it actually activates the emotional centers of the brain when they hear facts that are inconsistent with their belief, belief systems. Um, so, so it becomes very difficult to have a civil conversation. And the trick really is on a one-on-one basis is to learn how to listen at a very deep level and calm, help people calm down the emotional centers of their brain. They can't do it themselves, so as a listener peacemaker or the person trying to have a civil conversation you've got to have the skill set to actually calm down the emotional center of the brain so the prefrontal cortex can come back online and you can attempt to have a civil conversation (laughs) no guarantees (laughs) now how impossible
1: is that right i love that i love that and when i'm with my clients and when i'm with my family I can do that because right. I can use my voice, I can use inflections, I can ex- ex- you know, and and I can use my body language and all of those things, eye contact, I can use all of those calming mechanisms that I've learned how to use to diffuse the situation. But to one of the big points that you make is how do we do that when we're when we're communicating digitally, when we're communicating through the written word? When the only person that can calm us down while reading it is ourselves, and we're not in a space to do that.
6: Right. Well, actually, one of the reasons that texting and emails and digital communication is effective is because it does convey a certain amount of emotional information. And if you're really paying attention to what the emotions that are being expressed by the writer are, you can reflect back those emotions rather than responding to the words themselves. This is one of the things I teach is when you're really trying to de-escalate somebody, the first rule is ignore the words. The words mean nothing. Focus only on the emotions. So if you're dealing with somebody who's, who's uh, highly emotional, they could be insulting or they could be disrespectful or angry or ex- expressing fear, Whatever whatever the emotion is that appears to be coming across through the written word. Instead of responding to the content, respond to the emotion. Say, wow, you, you're writing as if you're really fearful or you're really angry, you're really frustrated, you feel really sad. And just respond to the emotion and not to the content. That's the first step. And when you do that, I mean, I don't think there have been any studies on this, but we do know that, that when you actually say those words in front of a, with a person through a process known as affect labeling, that it actually works. It actually does calm down the emotional centers of the brain. And I have no reason to believe that it wouldn't work in email. In fact, I've, I've done it, and it has worked, uh, emailing and texting and, and stuff like that. So if you are really up against somebody who's irate, um, don't try to have a conversation with them. <laughs> You've got to deescalate <laughs> them first. It, you, can't solve, you can't solve an emotional problem with logic. And you can't, you can't fight ideology with logic, and you can't fight a belief structure with logic. You can only approach it from an emotional perspective. And once you begin to understand that we are ninety eight percent emotional and two percent rational, you can be a lot more compassionate to people who are really upset, uh and they may even be upset at you, yelling at you. Uh right. and you know, you you can work with that. And that is the essence of that's the foundational skill in all peacemaking work, is learning how to de escalate an angry person. How do how do you take how do you take a three year old and de escalate that three year old in ninety seconds or less? And and there there you can do it. I mean there is a tested process that is counterintuitive that actually works and it works with three-year-olds and it works with 90-year-olds any human brain will respond to this um, and that's the first step learning how to do that and then we're not going to be able to solve the larger cultural problems but we are going to be able to deal with the circle of people that we influence and in the pe- circle of people we work with family friends clients colleagues um, facebook friends uh, we can <laughs> use these techniques in those situations effectively. And my belief is that if we get enough people doing this, um, things will change. I've seen it happen in prisons, and it's, 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 it's amazing to watch. And you know, we get 1% of the inmates trained in these techniques, and the whole prison quiets down within six months. It's and it's,
1: it's a 90-second technique. Is there... It, it, yeah, if you
6: I do mean- it, if, you, if it's taking more than 90 seconds, you've got to back off and try again later. Try again in five minutes. But it shouldn't take more than 90 seconds. So most of the time, it takes about 35 to 40 seconds.
1: So you're going to tell us what it is? Sure.
6: Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to shamelessly self-promote. I've got an online course called It's Pure Magic. Itspuremagic.com where you can really get into the details of this. But here's, here's how you do it. Number one, ignore the words. Number two, read the emotional data field. What, are, what is the emotional experience that your storyteller is having in the moment right now? figure out what those emotions are and you have the capacity to do that if you just relax and pay attention to the emotions and not to the words you have we have these things called mirror neurons that help us understand what other people are saying and doing we can just let those work where it's automatic we don't have to think about it we'll know third step state back the emotional you're guessing now but state back the emotional experience you think your storyteller is having in the moment and you're just guessing um And do not use an I statement. In other words, don't say "It sounds to me like what you are feeling is X" or uh, "What I hear you saying is X." Totally wrong. (laughs) Don't use those statements ever in this kind of listening. Oh wow, we're really ever 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 people really got screwed up. We're totally taught to do that. Pardon me,
1: we're always we have always been taught to do that.
6: Dead wrong. I statements are only appropriate when you are making statements of assertion. When I'm speaking for myself, what I need from you right now, or what I'm feeling, that's when an I statement is appropriate. When you are listening, only you statements are appropriate. And there's hard science behind this. Um, take a look. At, for anybody who's listening, look up Matthew Lieberman and look at his 2007 study uh, called Putting Feeling into Words. And uh, it, it, he, he did the whole research on this. It's amazing. Wow. I statement, No I statements. No I statements when you are listening. So you would say something, for example, you might, you might say to me, I'm really, really, oh, I'm so mad at you. And I said, oh, you're really mad. You're really angry. You're really frustrated. You, um, you know, you're really sad. You feel betrayed and you've, you're feeling a, a deep, a really deep injustice right now because you feel like you've been betrayed. And you would say something like that. Now, it's That's counterintuitive awesome. because we have been trained through our post-Victorian <laughs> mores not to do that sort of thing it's dead wrong. We have to, That's a, this is the only thing that works. And we have to recognize that we are not these rational Spockians on the planet. We are highly emotional human beings. And only when we respond to emotions are we able to quiet the brain down. And this is the beauty of neuroscience, is it's taking all these old myths and cultural stories that are absolutely false and showing us the better path. And it's effective. Let me tell you how effective it is. I, I, I work in prisons, a prison of peace, and with a colleague of mine, Laurel Carper, For the last five years, we've been teaching murderers to be peacemakers in maximum security prisons in California. Wow. And these people learn these skills, and they become some of the most powerful and effective peacemakers I've ever seen. They stop gang riots on the prison yards in their tracks. They stop murderers from happening, happening in the cells um, wow. by using these basic techniques. It's That's unbelievable. Amazing. Unbelievable how powerful it is. So and that's why I put the online course together, so anybody can learn how to do this.
1: That's awesome. And so, and where can we go for the online course? It's puremagic.com. Puremagic.com. It's okay, pure pure make sure everybody. No it's puremagic.com. Pure yeah. Okay. And, and
6: I've got... <laughs> I've got people who – i, mean, I teach, I'm teaching this course to high school, students, uh, high school teachers right now because I'm teaching them how to de-escalate angry, emotional students in the classroom in 90 seconds or less so they can get the kids back into learning mode instead of having to send them off to the assistant vice principal's office, right, for for discipline. Right. And they're coming back with stories that are unbelievable, how, how before they had these uncontrollable, unruly 14-year-olds that now, once they've done this a couple of times, those kids become so loyal to these teachers they don't want to leave the classroom.
1: Wow. And it's amazing to me, too, because if if we just had lessons like this, um, you know, right. there's a lot of things that they're teaching in schools right now. There's, you know, extracurricular things that you can right. do and, and ancillary right. classes that you can take. You know, something like this is absolutely something that needs to be integrated into the classroom that needs to be taught to every single student. That's Right.
6: That's, that's you know, why we're, we're starting this. And I mean, after I taught the teachers how to do this, they're saying, how come we didn't learn this in our core teacher training? And the principal of high school came up to him. I was teaching 80, 80 teachers uh, in a workshop. And the principal came up and said, This should be mandatory for every teacher in training. They should know this and have this skill absolutely mastered. It's, it, it's so it's fundamental. Awesome. Every parent should know how to do this. I mean, we, we so engage in emotional invalidation. Yeah. And this is the antidote to emotional invalidation. Emotional invalidation occurs when, when, when you, you blow people off. You say something, don't be a sissy, grow up, don't cry. Oh, it's mm-hmm. no big deal. Oh, you still you still let it go. This happened a long time ago. Let it go., ah, you get over it. You know all those kinds of statements are, are examples of emotional invalidation, and we emotionally invalidate people because we're protecting ourselves against our own anxiety. We're soothing ourselves. It has nothing to do with the other person.
0: That's and so emotion—I
6: call emotional invalidation the first deadly sin because that's what leads to abuse. It leads to drug addiction. It leads to depression. It leads to mental illness, especially in children.
1: It leads to uh, 250 teenagers beating the crap out of each other in a parking lot at the mall.
6: Exactly correct.
1: You know, and, and, and we and wonder. The, and, we say and, that and, and what we need to bring is back to is the belt, but we don't.
6: Yes, and the <laughs> antidote is to learn how to listen in a different way. That's
1: amazing. Doug, that's amazing. I am so thankful for all of this. I wish we had more time with you. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> I but, can come
6: back anytime you want. <laughs> oh,
1: that's awesome. And I really do want to get your information up on Facebook. What I'd love to do is invite some of our listeners um, or anybody, really, who has a question um, to post their question, and then what we'll do is we'll share them with you and Absolutely. and uh, see if you can take the time to answer some of their questions. Uh, I'd, be, cause I'd, I'd be happy I, to do
6: it. And if people are really interested, like I said, it's puremagic.com. Do it with a trusted friend and not with mm. a spouse or an intimate partner. It's too intense in the beginning. Okay. And do it, t- take a Saturday afternoon and do the course online, and um, your life will change in really magical ways.
1: Thank you so much, Doug. We really appreciate it. You bet. When we come back, we're going to talk to B.B. Crawford about her passion to train people to focus on what they desire when we come back. It's a
0: pee break. And then we'll be right back with more Parenting with a Twist.
3: From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network. Radio with a cutting edge.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Oh, my gosh. We, Kelly, we have got some great guests today. I know. I know it. <laughs> I can hear you over there tweeting away. Yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll so, tweet quieter.
1: Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's so funny because while I, we were in the middle of the previous segment, my son and his friend walked in the door. From uh, wrestling practice, oh yeah, and not used to having kids home during the show Me too. and uh, and the dogs were like going crazy, and i I could feel my blo- my blood pressure start to go up, and I was like, you know like giving them the shush sign and yeah. then and then I realized that we have Bebe Crawford on, and she's going <laughs> to teach us how to uh, calm down and not be so uh, crazy <laughs> with anxiety <laughs> Yeah. it's hard right now, Bebe. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: like, we're happy. We're happy to have BB back because when she was supposed to be on a couple months ago, she got ill the night before. Do you remember that? I do. Oh, so I
5: remember that. It was. Horrible. We have her
1: back. <laughs> Yay! I'm so glad you're back. You're gonna help us calm I am down, too. right, BB? Thank Bebe? you so
5: much. Well, I'm thrilled to be back and to share, and um, I love your show. I listen to it a lot, and I was just like, yay. Right. (laughs) I get to come play.
1: I'm so glad. I'm so glad because I'll tell you what. This is the season for stressed-out parents right now, so this is actually perfect divine timing.
5: (laughs) This is true. Uh, They're still on vacation. The kids are still on holiday vacation, so... Yeah, parents are starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed with the kids' home and everything going on. I remember those days before I learned the work that I do now. I remember it was like counting the days off till you know, January 2nd when they went back to school.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. My kids go don't go back till the 5th.
5: Oh, it's- wow. Oh, that's right, because of the way it falls this time. Yep. Yeah. That, that, that can lead to some stress and anxiety.
1: Yeah, especially, you know, Definitely. if you live in a cold weather state and you're kind of like cooped up inside and, you know, mm-hmm. and you entertain a lot like we do. I We throw four parties at the holidays in oh, a period wow. in a span of eight days. And and these are like big blowout parties. So I kind of, in a way, I feel bad for my kids because I'm like, get up and help me clean. You know, <laughs> Cook something. <laughs> and, and, so, I mean, it's not do something the re- productive instead of
5: watching TV <laughs> or playing video games.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If I have to wash <laughs> one more dish while you're playing Super Mario, I'm going to flip. So, I totally get where the whole stress and anxiety comes from. But one of the things that you say is that we're kind of, as parents, we're kind of set up for that. What do you mean by that? Yeah.
5: Well, I loved uh, the guest you had before because he really hit on the the conditioning that we receive as we're growing up with that. Um, I love the term emotional invalidation that he used because I call it the rules of engagement. And we're trained early on with statements like, wipe that look off your face or I will stop that crying or I'll give you reason to cry. So as little people, we learned that the big people are in charge of our clothes, our food, our time. And yes, our toys, everything So we do, as little people, everything we can To acquiesce to the big people So we can keep the things that we like So from a super early age We learn to shut down our feelings Or as I like to say, not feel out loud Then we go to school And our peers teach us how not to feel out loud And then what happens is We learn very early to stuff our feelings And then go into adult life You learn a whole other level Of not feeling out loud And pretty soon we're doing this thing from early, early on, where, for instance, if I ask you, Tara, to think of a really happy time in your life and you think about it, it feels good, right? It just feels really nice to think of a good memory. Now, -hmm. if I ask you to bring up a memory and run it through the video in your your mind of a time you were really stressed out or angry or frustrated and you think about that, no matter how long ago or recent, when you bring up that memory... It feels uncomfortable. You may feel it in your chest, stomach, or solar plex area, in your body or shoulders. And the reason that is isn't because they're both different memories, like a happy memory and a not-so-great. It's really the way you processed it in the moment. You said with the happy moment, you didn't want to close your eyes. You wanted every juicy nanosecond. You know, you're like, bring it on. I want all of this. <laughs> the not-so-great memory, though. You said, oh, crap, I can't deal with this happening, the car breaking down, the kid breaking their arm, this going on. I'll deal with some of this later. Mm-hmm. And so we stuffed that stuff that we're feeling in the later file that has been being filled up since we are a little, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. So we're drag around with this everywhere we go. Um, all those, what I refer when I work with the troops, IEEDs, Internal Emotional Explosive Devices. And so what Um. happens is you have all these things stuck in your baggage behind you, and then someone looks at you a certain way, says a certain thing, your child smarts off at you, whatever it is, and you feel all those emotions from the past of disrespect, frustration, anger, whichever one it hooks into. And so you're not only feeling this feeling of being rejected or hurt or whatever it is, you're feeling all those other times that you said, I'll deal with that later, consciously or subconsciously. So they all sit there kind of, you know, just percolating, waiting until someone bumps up against it. And that's where that total overreactivity is as a parent, where you yell and scream or you vent or whatever, and then you walk away going, oh, my God, it wasn't that big a deal. It was just, you know, a chipped cup, and I just completely exploded on the poor child. And then you're apologizing and regretting what you said or how you behaved. And so the opportunity is to learn how to... Um, unpack that baggage so we're not so reactive as a parent. But no one's ever showed us how to do that because I'm sure you've talked about your frustrations, your hurt, your anger with your friends. We've all done it. We've talked to therapists about it. We've all done that. We've cried about it more than once. It feels a little better. We even know that we may have that trigger anger or whatever it is or controlling or whatever the behavior is that we don't really care for in ourselves. So we've cried. We've talked. We know it's there. But how in the heck do we no longer be reactive and instead respond to what is unfolding in the moment instead of all the other things and what is unfolding in the moment, and then we become reactive. And so I teach really simple tools for, um, doesn't matter if it's victims of violent crime that I worked for be- with before I worked with the troops or working with combat vets with PTSD um, or their family members or just... You know, what I call garden variety, everyday anxiety and stressors that people tend to deal with. Um, It's very simple. There's three things that we do that um, everyone's trained to do. We project negative outcomes. We uh, deal with uh, we have unmet expectations in the moment of people, places, and things. Or And or, because it can be all three of them sometimes, is those unresolved events of the past. And you know you have them when you think or get triggered by a spell, a thing, or the way someone looks at you and you, or talks to you, and you feel it in your body. You know that you have that capacity then to be explosive or angry or frustrated or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's projecting negative outcomes. I work with parents of um, unruly teens. And one of the first things I ask them, is, as I said, when, when you think about your teenager, what are some of the thoughts? And they'll say, "Oh my God! If they keep acting this way, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to end up here. This is going to happen. You know, this is this horrible situation." They're constantly projecting this negative outcome about Fear-based their child, parenting. so they come from that emotional energy of trying to control and keep that from happening. Mm. And you can see where that would create a lot of arguments.
1: Oh, it's really, yeah, it's crazy
5: with that type of mindset.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah it's fear-based parenting. <laughs> it's like, you know, if I don't do this now, then they're going to wind up in jail or they're going to wind up and right. yeah, I totally see that. And so there's and you're a lot of things
5: the energy as if that
1: story is true. Right, exactly. So and that, and that for me feeds back into the whole manifestation thing. You know, yes. like what you focus mm-hmm. on is exactly what you're going to get, so don't even why are you taking it there? But what you're saying is they don't have any control over it. No, the, do they. because
5: we're trained to do that. We were raised with what will the neighbors think. You know, our mm-hmm. parents were creating stories about our behavior, you know, so we are trained to project this negative outcome. And then it's actually a form of control. If I can project the worst story, like money and not enough month, if I can figure out what's the worst scenario... And the problem is we get thrown emotionally into that worst scenario. So now we're coming from reactive state versus responding to what is unfolding. And the only place is a parent or in our life and anywhere, anywhere in our life be- regarding family, work, whatever, is right here, right now is the only empowered space we have to make a choice that will create the outcome we want instead of trying to be... Uh, stopping it by being controlling and reactive and angry. So projecting a negative outcome, also those unmet expectations. You come home, you told the kids to clean the house up, you come home or clean up their messes and they've left everything around. Well, you're not just responding to this unmet expectation where someone let you down every other time someone didn't do what they said they were going to comes back. So the opportunity is being in the moment and responding to what is going on instead of all those other things. And then the unresolved events are those things that when thoughts cross your mind or situations uh, remind you of something in the past, you feel as upset as if it happened when it was happening, except now you feel it in this moment and all reactive. So the opportunity is to become aware of when you're doing those things But then also even more, and I teach a whole program on this, and it's very simple to learn. People learn it, and they're like, are you kidding me? This isn't rocket science. The other opportunity is to start really listing all the things that upset you in the world. And when I work with um, workshops, I have them work with 10. But I have them list their 10 top triggers that cause them to be upset, whatever is not quite right yet in their life. Because most people focus on the things that aren't quite right yet. And they spend a lot of time there. And then what happens is those thoughts go around and collect all those other thoughts and feelings. You know, they kind of stick to them like Velcro. Next thing you know, you're doing the whole downward spiral uh, feeling and thinking, and you're just consumed by it. And so what I ask them to do is list those things. But then on the other side of the paper is what would it feel like to have a warm relationship and a great communication with your kids? What would it feel like? To have, be able to play a game and, it, you know, together as a family and it not getting explosive and someone running to the room crying. Well, what would it feel like? Instead of focusing on what's not quite right yet, focused on what it would feel like. And it's what I call a positive emotional endorphins. You would then start becoming aware of all the opportunities and the things that are working in your life. And you actually start creating actions, what I call upward spiral choices in how you show up. Uh, it's really powerful because most people focus on how their kids aren't doing well, what's going on, all the problems. And I ask them, no, shift to what would it feel like? Because no woman buys an expensive pair of shoes or an expensive purse just because she wants to wear cowhide. It's because right. of the way that makes her feel. No one drives a Maserati or a Porsche just because it's a hot car and it drives fast. It's the way they feel. So the more we can hook into what it feels like, to experience those things that we desire, we then start creating behaviors that match that feeling versus when we're focused on how disrespectful, rude and messy our kids are, then that brings up those downward spiral feelings. Wow. And then that creates reactivity.
1: So here's my thing baby. you you mm-hmm. work with you work with veterans, you work with people in the military, you work with um, prisoners and that sort of thing. You work with people who are in very tough situations who are stuffers. Who were taught and trained to be stuffers. You're not allowed to feel. You're not allowed to have those emotions. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, if you if you look to the the silver lining of something, mm-hmm. that's shishi foo, foo and now you're a sissy. So right. How do I and I and I work with a lot of those parents, too. So how do you reach the person who has been trained and raised to not feel their emotions and has a complete belief system that feeling those emotions is ridiculous? And and, you know, I I should live in fear. And we have like three minutes left, by the way
5: i'll tell you how it's really super simple when i work with them i take all i don't use guru words or you know coachy words i say right now think of the worst experience you've had one of your top worst and then when they do i say now where do you physically feel it it's something in the past you can't change it you can't make it different but yet you still feel it physically and i don't care how tough the marine is soldier whoever uh they'll say wow i can feel it in my stomach or my chest and um Then I'll say, okay, now I want you to focus on it. Put all your focus. Does it feel like it expands and can radiate, or does it feel like it gets more in tight and confined? And when I show them how to resolve that trigger feeling that they have, and then they enter into this peaceful space, they're like, are you kidding me? It's that easy? So they start unpacking their rucksack or their suitcase of life just by being able to use either the tight and confined exercise or the engulfing exercise. Then they start coming from the aha the wisdom from the moment and they're no longer dragging that crap and having it color their lens of life. And all of a sudden they start seeing how effortless the relationship, the work is and everything else. And they realize, wow, holding on to these hundreds and thousands of pounds of pain do not serve me or bring me what I desire in my life. And that's how they get to the point where they could go, ha, not feeling out loud is the place I don't want to go because it creates hurt and harm and disappointment in my life. When I focus on what I do want, resolve those triggers I feel physically in my body, I can start coming from a very empowered warrior-like space versus trying to hide under the guise of fear or being angry. And the amazing thing is I'm always blown away because they look at me and they go, it's that easy. And they start using the work. Their marriages change. Their families change. When I work with the average civilian, they're like, you're kidding! I don't have to spend 100, per, you know, 80 percent of my day pissed off, angry, frustrated. I can actually come from a peaceful, powerful place, and that That's... is what just I love doing this work because marriages are saved, kids are no longer doing drugs and alcohol; they're actually choosing to create the life it is they do want instead of feeling consumed by anger and frustration and disappointment.
1: So I love it's, that. It's
5: very simple to learn. And uh, if they go to our site and connect with us at emotionalselfsufficiency.com, they can actually. um, We're going to start doing workshops across the country this year, um, so that people can learn it. It's so simple to learn to be able to become emotionally self-sufficient.
1: I love that, B.B., and, and combining that with the things that Doug said in the earlier segment, it's just oh, yeah. it, it's amazing to me. We need to focus on how to get the peace back. We need to focus on how to release our own personal opinions about things and really start loving each other and accepting each other. And hopefully going into 2015, that's something that we can all commit to. So thank you so much, B.B. and Doug and everybody. Until next year, keep playing life lesson. Sometimes it just has to pass mom's little barometer of is this going to shut them up? Connect with Tara
0: online at tarakennedykline.com Until next time, remember this.
1: Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try calling it